0: gentlemen this is your captain speaking welcome aboard the financial independence podcast g'day And welcome to another episode of Captain Fire, the financial independence podcast, where I open the cockpit to some of the best and brightest in personal finance, as well as those who have reached or are on their way to financial independence. Before we get started, remember, nothing said here is financial advice, and you should always do your own independent research before making any financial choices. With that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode and learn something new. This podcast is brought to you by the best portfolio tracking tool for Aussie investors. ShareSite makes it incredibly simple to track your portfolio with automatic updates of share purchases and dividends, easy to read graphs and comprehensive tax and performance reporting, all wrapped up in an easy to use cloud based system. For users with fewer than 10 holdings, it is completely free and I even use the free version for years. Head over to captainfire.com forward slash Sharesite dash review to see if Sharesite is for you. CaptainFi listeners can score themselves four months of Sharesite premium for free by using the bonus signup code in the article. If you do ever decide to hold more than 10 stocks, be sure to use this code to get your first four months for free. Even if you do only plan to use the free version, using the code means if you ever do upgrade, you will still get your four months for free. Ditch the Excel spreadsheet and complete your tax with a click of a button by signing up today. That's captainfirecom forward slash sharesite dash review for your four free months. G'day everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Captain Fire Financial Independence Podcast. On board today, I'm very pleased to introduce Kana Campbell, the founder and director of a financial media platform, Sugar Mama TV. <laughs> hey, Kenna. Now, look, you're also the best selling author of The Thousand Dollar Project and Mindful Money. And you've been a licensed financial planner for, geez, nearly two decades now.
1: Yes, I know. I'm feeling very old now. I sit back and add up those years. Yes.
0: Yes. No, that's just compounding knowledge. Look, can <laughs> I, I remember we were talking about this a bit off air, but it was seven, eight years ago. I think I was starting to get really enthusiastic about learning about improving my personal finance. I'd sort of just graduated and got my commercial pilot's license. I wasn't spending literally tens of thousands of dollars regularly on flight training. And I'm like, I've got to do something with this money. And so i I looked online because I didn't have a great track record with financial advisors and one of the channels I found was Sugar Mama TV. And I think I've binged all your videos about finance, money, minimalism and investing. I thought, ah, brilliant to have this stuff so easily accessible and free. I think probably the only thing I couldn't relate to was the outfit of the day stuff. (laughs) Maybe that's just a bloke thing. (laughs) That's fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, but you came across as this like really switched on, successful, classy, I mean, dare I say, bougie person. (laughs) You have all this great information on offer, like one, from your personal experience, but two, also from your professional career as a financial advisor. So I think I was like alternating between your vlog reel, Bryce Holdaway's videos of property or whatever it was called, and then some of the early firebloggers like Aussie firebug and sort of agonizing, oh, should I be buying property or should I be buying shares? And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So look, I remember hearing, so you've made your very first investment was property. I think you were still a teenager. Yes. And then fast forward to today, you've built Sugar Mama TV, this financial media company. You've got... I think over 230,000 subscribers across different platforms. You've written two best selling personal finance books and you run a really popular podcast, The Fireplay, which is over three quarters of a million downloads, which is a pretty amazing milestone.
1: Actually, it's around 1.3 something, maybe oh. 1.4. I forgot to track my numbers, so I had to go back. So I'd changed across three different platforms. And yeah, I think I'm at maybe 1.4, so I forgot to celebrate my million downloads
0: so, so double, that's a lot. Look, I can't believe I'm actually chatting to you because as I mentioned, going back to some of the formative days of my education, you're this big name. So I'm kind of like pinching myself here. <laughs> so look, thanks for your time today and coming on the show. How are you going? Well, I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks. I'm tickled pink. <laughs> <laughs> so look, before we crack in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Of course. So my name is Kanna. I am a financial planner, but I focus really on just helping everyday people around the world with their relationship with money and I guess educating them and inspiring them and empowering them to make smart decisions with their money so that they feel good about their money today, but also they're really relieved and proud of what they can create in the future and it's something I'm really passionate about and I am a mother I have three kids two dogs my partner also works for himself he's a equine physio and we live a busy hectic life like most Australian households do so if we can kind of get rid of or reduce that financial stress in our lives it just makes life a little bit or maybe even a lot Easier.
0: Gee, I think your husband hit the gold mine marrying a financial planner because <laughs> I actually have had horses before and I know just how much they cost. Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: my kids are banned from having a horse. I pray that they won't get into horses. So so far, Rocco is not really interested. I've got to be very careful with my two girls because they haven't asked to start doing like horse riding lessons and stuff like that. That's when I know we're in big trouble financially then because it's yeah, very expensive
0: passion. When we were chatting before I could see on the video and your puppies curled up behind you
1: oh yes I've had a very expensive month with those two actually Peppy got gastro Giuseppe had to have half his teeth taken out and then Giuseppe got really sick and just suddenly lost huge amounts of waste so I've actually spent over seven thousand dollars this month alone just in vet bills now both dogs are insured there I am worried about my kids potentially liking horses really I've got my own little shetland ponies in my own home that are sucking dry my bank accounts
0: oh it's not cheap isn't it but i tell you what i'm a dog person as well and gee wouldn't change it for the world worth every cent in my opinion yeah, absolutely the unconditional love is unbelievable Yeah. Now, Canada, who better to answer this question, right? Because your podcast, The Fireplay, literally talking about fire. So, I mean, you've been creating videos, writing for a long time, and obviously nearly two decades in the financial services industry. So you've probably seen a lot of fads come and go, right? But the fire movement, it's kind of exploded. And we can see the concept kind of means different things to different people in that not everyone wants to retire. But we do all need to reach financial independence, like by definition, if we want to stop working. Maybe not if you're happy to die as soon as you finish work. And the point was ham at home because I've interviewed a few people and some of them get really fired up, pun <laughs> intended, <laughs> about using the word early retirement. In particular, a lot of them hate it. So I'm really interested to see what does financial independence mean to you?
1: To me, financial independence is about having the choice to work if and when and where because I want to, not because of a financial responsibility on my shoulders or lingering around. And for me, it's very much about having enough passive income that more than covers my living expenses. So if I do want to work, it's for my own personal growth and development and intellectual stimulation and satisfaction. That money I make from my physical work is just a bonus as such. I have my money working for me in the background.
0: Yeah. Now, you've been, I guess, pretty openly sharing your money journey for quite a while. So, Mm. could you tell us a bit about your journey to financial independence, how you got started, and how it's going lately?
1: Of course. So, I'm actually going to share with you things that I haven't really shared before. So, to cut a long story short, I started investing when I was 19. I made my first investment into a real estate investment trust that my father organized and set up for me and recommended. And that was the start of my journey. And getting that dividend check was my as cheesy as it is, that aha moment where I realized that's what I want to do. So I never stopped investing from that point on. And I think I saved for about six years to buy my first apartment and I have just been accumulating in bursts and spurts whether it be shares, whether it be property, whether it be any particular asset, but they're all sort of high growth assets, two-dimensional in that they grow in value from a capital growth point of view and they also pay an income stream through rent or through dividends. So I've literally not stopped and I'm very open and honest with everyone. I have this thing called a mindful money number. So my FIRE strategy is not the same as what a lot of people do who use that 4% rule because I never want my money to run out. I have no intention to ever eat in my assets. So my FIRE strategy is to buy and build and invest a portfolio that pays me a growing passive income with it where it never touches the capital. So I never want to eat into my assets. And I have this goal. It's called it's my book, Mindful Money. So it's all about building that number. So my number is $200,000 a year. So I am actively accumulating assets through various different strategies that will pay me a passive income of $200,000 a year. And I've never stopped. And I've had to make changes and had to sell things along the way and rejig things. But I'm actually, and I'm actually really proud of saying this. The other day I sat down and looked at the gross, not the net, the gross passive income. And we are 75% of the way to achieving that.
0: Holy moly. That's a pretty exciting achievement. I'm just trying to do the math in my head. So that's $150,000 of passive income.
1: Actually, it's a little bit more, but yes. And full disclosure, that is the gross figure because I do use gearing strategies and debt recycling strategies. So please, and that's not advice, by the way, for anyone that's listening to this. But yeah, it's actually quite incredible. And it does include an element, but only a small element of superannuation as well but watching that grow and this is why i'm so passionate about financial education and understanding two-dimensional assets and investing intelligently for your long-term needs rather than instant gratification it's really satisfying seeing that number because when we hit that number i can start actually if i want to either start paying off that debt that's helped build these assets Or I can just keep going and alter our number and change it. So I've got so many different options when we hit that number and we're so close to hitting that number. But I will also share with you, whilst I have gearing behind the scenes, it's always been set up so it's cash flow positive. So all of these investments, actually bar one, because we've had to tweak and change some of our strategy along the way, are cash flow positive positive.
0: Yeah, interesting. And the other thing I guess it's important to point out as well is, and maybe we can get to it because I definitely want to ask about your books, but I know definitely in the $1,000 project, you've actually set up charitable gifting with the return from that portfolio. And that's pretty amazing to think that in addition to building your wealth and income streams, you've actually been quite generously giving along the way as well.
1: Yes. So when I started the $1,000 project, I realized that I wanted to give back. I mean, I started the $1,000 project in a bit of a sneaky way in that I told people I was building an investment portfolio that would pay me a passive income so I could buy a luxury handbag each year. And it worked because all of a sudden I had lots of young women saying, oh, I'd like the idea of my investments buying me a handbag each year. But in fact, I always plan to give that money to charity. So the income I make from the thousand dollar project after I've paid over to factor in tax and the interest expense that I fund myself I, I give that money to World Vision and that today officially supports now 15 young girls in Myanmar and now Cambodia.
0: Wow. I think that's awesome. I mean, that's way better. In my opinion, I think that's way more satisfying than an extra handbag. <laughs> but then again, I'm a bloke. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I am a female who loves fashion and has a soft spot for a few little luxuries along the way. And I can say I'm feels so good knowing that i'm helping these girls and also i was actually on the phone to the World vision yesterday and they said for each person or child you sponsor the flow on effect is four so you know by supporting that one girl helping get her educated housed food clothing there is a flow on effect and the flow on effect is actually four other children
0: yeah, look, I must admit, this has definitely been a blind spot of mine through my journey to financial independence. And I definitely think I could have been doing a lot more than what I did. And so now I'm actually starting to do a regular donation, 10% of my investment returns. Oh, great. Uh, and yeah, so my partner, she comes from a big family of doctors and they run a hospital in Manila as well as a school. And so we've set up, I must admit, I'm still a little bit sus on big charities i have worked delivering aid before as a part of some of these big charities and it did just leave sort of a bad taste in my mouth so i feel a lot better being able to directly put the money straight to the cause having said that i know that's probably not the right way to think about charity and giving and i definitely have a lot to learn about this space so it's like an evolving thing for me but yeah i think it's definitely something that is worth thinking about on your journey to fire
1: I completely understand what you're saying. And if someone was to say to me, look, would you rather give the money to a charity or you could give it directly to the community? They both have their place and they're both equally valuable, but I can completely understand your apprehension and your suspicion. Where does that money go? Where does it land? What's going on behind the scenes? So I understand, but I guess at the end of the day, you need to make charity easy for people to be able to donate to. So there's places in the world for both ways of giving. And I think just being able to give and also being able to share the message of what you're doing is even more powerful because that inspires other people to think, you know what, I'm going to go sponsor a Girl World Vision or I'm going to go and find a hospital in a third world country and see what I can do to help them by paying for food or paying for medical supplies. So you know, there's so much merit in both approaches.
0: Yeah. And look, sharing the message in education is important. And I know you recently posted about a bit of a personal medical struggle of your own, which was you recently been diagnosed with ADHD. And that's something we share in common, which sometimes people are a bit surprised to hear that a transport pilot has had ADHD, but I do. And it can be really tricky sometimes. There's actually quite a lot of us in the blogging and podcasting community, because I like to think of it sometimes as a bit of a superpower so would you be able to talk us through your recent video about how you use your ADHD to build wealth
1: yes absolutely so I was only diagnosed I think in about maybe February this year but I had known about it for probably about four years and it was actually one of my staff members that she said to me look I think you might have ADHD and she actually had it herself and it took her to about four years to convince me to go and make an appointment and be properly assessed. And the moment I was obsessed, the psychiatrist said, look, I think you need to go on medication. And it has been the best thing I've done for myself. But It's funny, there's a lot of misunderstanding around ADHD because they assume that you can't concentrate. And it's not that at all. It's there are parts of your brain which you can use, but then there are parts of your brain that just hit a wall and you just can't push through. And I use the analogy of getting in the car. You want to go for a drive somewhere, so you get in the car, you put the keys in the ignition, you put the seatbelt on, and you turn the car on and you can't move. And that's what it felt like with my brain. But with money I'm good with money. I mean, I'm a financial planner. I can plan someone's finances for the next 30 years of their life. But if you ask me to go and book a restaurant or you go and ask me to book a holiday or plan a kid's party, I just simply can't. And what I've learned, and I think I just did this intuitively and also I think being influenced by my love and passion of minimalism is – I keep my finances very simple. I don't overcomplicate things. I don't give myself a thousand different financial goals. I have one superannuation account. I have one life insurance policy, one TPD policy, one income protection policy, one trauma policy. I have the number of bank accounts that I need. I don't have all of these, like my cult work colleague, michael thompson from how do they afford that he has 17 bank accounts that would just send me into a Oh,
0: okay that's giving me anxiety just-, <laughs> I know, yeah,
1: just as a thought yeah so and i have them all my bank accounts for my personal affairs and our family financial affairs are with the one banking institution so i can see exactly where i stand financially in the one screen i'm not logging in and out of different apps having to wait for money to be transferred overnight if it's not osco and yeah, it's just easy. I know where I stand, I know what I'm working towards. I've got great clarity and purpose and direction, and I've really comes down to just keeping it really simple and not trying to reinvent the wheel because I know that if I do that my ADHD will win and overturn me and that's when I drop the ball. So, I think keeping things simple and having less in your life is a very powerful approach.
0: Well, especially yes. with ADHD. yeah keeping it simple and minimalism i love those concepts and i think as well even i like to think of myself as a minimalist but my house like, i'm not like a zen monk by any stretch of the imagination we have stuff we do have multiple accounts and stuff but we also try and follow that philosophy of keeping it simple and a big one for me was just automating as much as possible because then it's like a less of a distraction for me to have to think, to remember, oh, today's investing day, like I need to go and invest that, or geez, I need to pay the electricity bill, I need to pay the rates, like basically just sort of outsourcing and automating has been a game changer for me personally.
1: Absolutely, and one budgeting hack that I find that helps me a lot is I front load all of my big expenses. So I get paid on the first of every month, so I will try and make sure that I have all direct debits or, I have, or the bills that I have to pay, that I pay them actually up front at the start of the pay cycle so I've got all the heavy lifting out of the way and that means I can really clearly see what's left over and make sure I ration that correctly for the rest of the month.
0: Yeah, it sort of reminds me of, and I know a few people love this book. A lot of some people hate it. It's a bit of a controversial bloke recently, but Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad Poor Dad. Mm. He used to always talk about pay yourself first, and (laughs) it took me a long time to to actually realise what that meant. And exactly what you just said, it means paying your investments and doing that at the start of the month, front loading everything, and then you can see what's left Mm. at the end. And it took me a while to figure that out, but. I think the other thing with ADHD, and I might not be relevant to like every listener, but if you do have ADHD, and sometimes people sort of make it out to be this negative thing about like, hyper-fixating on things, like it's been actually super useful for me, just. Focus all my effort and attention on achieving a particular goal. And then I feel like I'm able to achieve it way quicker than sort of normal people.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And especially when you add the element of creativity in there. I've come up with some really great life hacks that actually have added so much efficiency to my life. And the $1,000 project, I wrote that in 10 weeks. Whoa. Yeah.
0: That's yeah, impressive. It, That's I just, a big book. It's not like a short novel, it's a full book.
1: <laughs> it's a full book. I can't believe I did that. And because Mindful money, which is where my ADHD really sort of took over and I couldn't manage it like I used to be able to with all my mindfulness techniques, that took me over 10 months to write. It was physically painful to my brain.
0: Yeah, look, I I have a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for here, a lot of respect for you as an author because, I mean, I've been blogging for a while and I've been meaning to sort out all my thoughts and put together like a bit of an ebook and, oh gosh, it's taken me a long time. So yeah, a lot of respect for you there, Canna. Speaking of which, can you tell us a bit more about the books? Obviously, we touched on the $1,000 project before, but can you go into a little bit more detail about Mindful Money and the $1,000 projects and what people can learn from them? So,
1: the $1,000 project, that was my first book. And that is really about the power of a side hustle. And when you have a goal in your life that you break down into bite sized, mini manageable, and therefore achievable goals. And for me, this was just $1,000 at a time. So, what I set out to do was hustle, save, create, invest, and dare I say manifest $1,000 at a time. The moment, whether it was $1, I managed to save or earn, I put into a separate dedicated savings account, nicknamed the $1,000 project. And the moment my account balance hit $1,000, I went and invested that $1,000 into a diversified share portfolio. And I reinvested all the dividends and I just basically would start all over again. The moment I hit my $1,000 and invested it, I'd go back to the drawing board and repeat that process over and over again. And I explained my journey in the book and what I did and how I started and how I picked the platform to trade on and the importance of investing for the long run and understanding your risk profile and making informed educated decisions and pretty much all the different ideas to help you come up with cash. Now, people use a thousand dollar project around the world. People have used it to help pay off their home loans, they've used it to help pay for their children's education, help pay for IVF, help pay for the deposits on their first home, to do what I have done, which is invest and build passive income stream. So I even had one woman who did the $1,000 project to help pay for reconstructive surgery. So it's really about taking one goal, a big scary goal that might overwhelm you and intimidate you and just breaking it down into lots of mini goals that are in positive alignment to that big one. So that's the $1,000 project. Then the $1,000 project today is a $250,000 share portfolio, which I'm really proud of it does have a small element of a margin loan included in there and obviously that's not advice to anyone to go and take a margin loan out but it's it's incredible how it's grown and it's started eight years ago and literally not a dollar has come from my salary base salary and not a dollar has come from my savings because I was complete. I was in a very tight stressful situation when I started it mindful money it's about fire really it's about having a mindful money number which is the ultimately is how much passive income do you want to earn and you then look at all the different strategies that are out there to help make sure that you can build that passive income with the available resources in your life and how to find additional resources in your life to make it happen
0: well they say how do you eat an elephant
1: yeah well, just one bite at a, at a time so
0: there you go How had to build a quarter of a million dollar portfolio just thousand dollars at a time i love the side hustles i mean especially when you find one that you can scale and outsource i think that's like a, a huge key but being mindful about money it's super important and not everyone needs to build a huge investment portfolio and retire early i think as long as you're sensible with money and you do something that you love you can get heaps of positive outcomes from that right so it's just kind of about what do you want out of life what do you want out of your finances
1: absolutely at the end of the day we come here with nothing and we leave here with nothing so we have a responsibility to make sure we have a wonderful time and a great balance and experience adventures and great connections with people and to help people as well that element of charity so it's something that I'm really passionate about
0: Yeah. And I guess speaking of helping educate people and you built this big platform, Sugar Mama TV, right? So you're a financial advisor, that was your full-time job, and then you made the move into personal finance education. Can you tell us a little bit, I guess, the reasons for the switch and maybe some of the challenges that you faced previously as a financial advisor and some of the new challenges as a financial educator?
1: I never would say I'd made the switch as such because I am still a financial planner today. I ran my business, SAS Financial, and that merged into my dealer group so that I could take a bit more time because I was running Sugar Mama and SAS Financial at the same time. And I was also about to have my third baby. So something had to give because for me, my children and my partner are my life. So I realized, okay, I can't spread myself too thinly here. Something's got to shift. So I decided to merge SAS Financial into my dealer group, and I'm still in contact with all of my clients today, and they've said basically whatever you want to do it will support you whatever decision. So that allowed me to focus full-time on Sugar Mama, and I don't ever really feel like it's a switch because I'm still a financial planner. It's still in my blood. I still think like a financial planner. I just do exactly what I do with my clients, which is explain financial strategies but instead of talking to someone in front of me in person I'm talking to a camera lens or talking into a microphone so to me that's probably why there's no switch as such
0: it's awesome when you're able to scale a system like that because in the end instead of sort of one-on-one you're able to reach well like we found out earlier over 1.4 million people via the podcast and then regularly an audience of a quarter of a million people. That's pretty powerful, right? That's a huge platform to promote financial well-being.
1: I'm feeling quite blown away by it and I had to take some videos or I chose to take some videos down from YouTube, some really old ones, but I think I've had something like 15 million views on YouTube.
0: Wow, that's, crazy. Uh, that's, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, something you should be really proud of. It's no mean feat. There's a lot of people producing content and there's no guarantee that it's going to do well.
1: And there are a lot of people who just, people who write books, there are lots of writers who've got fantastic novels that have never seen the light of day because they just haven't landed in front of the right person. So I love what I am do and I'm passionate about it. And so to me, and there's probably a reason why I didn't even realize I'd hit over a million downloads is it's not about the numbers. I just love what I do. So I'm not really intrigued or obsessed with those things. I only happen to know the YouTube numbers because I accidentally came across it a couple of months ago.
0: Yeah, and I guess that it's a perfect example of people talk about oh, I want fire, like I want to retire early, and then people say, "Well, okay, you got to retire to something, not retire from something." And then mm. so a lot of people say, "Well, why don't you just build a life that you don't need to retire from?" And I think this has been an important part of my sort of mindset shift and education in that I did feel really stressed in my job, I felt really control, and so there's a lot of stuff going on in my personal life that since leaving my flying role and running my websites part-time I love the work-life balance now it's really enjoyable and so I never used to understand when people were like oh I don't want to retire I used to think they were mad I was <laughs> like why, why would you want to work forever but some people love their job and that's totally cool in fact that's the goal right
1: yeah, that is the goal. And I'm definitely one of those people. I spring out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning. Ooh, I love 5 o'clock. Hey, yeah. Are you
0: serious? Yeah. 5 o'clock.
1: Rain, hail, or shine, Monday to Sunday. And I, I don't have an alarm. I just wake up. And sometimes I wake up even earlier. And look, it, probably once every three months, my body will actually not wake up. And it will just let me sleep in until 7 But no, for me, there's just so many opportunities in the day. There are so many things to to live for. So I'm someone who's very easily inspired, which I sometimes think is a curse at times because I just get blown away by everything I see and think, I want to do that, or I think I can create that, or I'm going to build something like this. So to me, when I wake up in the morning, there is a beautiful day. It's time to start seeing your goals and dreams come into fruition.
0: Yes, I love it. Now, look, not to be a negative Nancy here at all, but I'm interested to hear what are some of the challenges that you face now running your own business, especially in this industry?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, obviously, content creation is exhausting. You put a lot of your heart and soul, and you can think this is going to do really well, and it flatlines. And content creation is expensive. It takes a lot of time, and you can really... oh wow this is going to go viral and it doesn't at all and also you've got to deal with the haters out there people have negative comments leave toxic ratings and reviews that you know are really disheartening obviously being a financial planner you have to be hyper vigilant when it comes to compliance and making sure that you follow all the rules and regulations so that ASIC are always comfortable and happy with everything that you're doing you've also got to obviously make sure that you really understand your listeners. And that can be quite stressful at times because you can't please everyone. People want to know about this and then people want to know about that. And then you're excluding a certain group and someone will send you a DM saying, why don't you do something for people like me? And it can be exhausting. And anyone who's in the content creation game knows that also it's very up and down from an income point of view for sponsorships and Collaborations and so forth. So, you've got to understand how to manage a business at the same time when you're running a business such as Sugar Mama.
0: Yeah, there's a lot, isn't there? Even like I've found it's quite difficult, even just blogging get a lot of people again yeah wanting certain things from you and it's hard because you can't really always be everything to everyone yeah so look canna you're pretty open about your finances on your youtube channel and podcasts and i'd love to delve a little deeper into your personal finances with your game to spill some tea
1: (laughs) yes i'm happy to obviously i'm not going to be sharing numbers here and a full warning please obviously refer to my general advice warning as well as yours and my license details. So, as you're listening to what I've invested in, please don't think oh, well, I'll just do what Canada's doing because that's not how it works at all. But yeah, I, look, what's inside my investment portfolio? Well, shares, Australian shares, and international shares. And when I invest in international shares, I typically use ETFs. Actually, all of my international shares are through ETFs. I love industrial shares. I love listed investment companies, and. I have emergency money, which I will talk to you about in a second, and I have commercial property and residential property, and yeah, it's it, as I said, it's predominantly high risk, high growth investment assets, really. But for me, with my risk profile of being a high growth investor, that and what my goals are, which are very long term, it works for me.
0: Yeah, and yes, brilliant advice you've pointed out don't just blindly do something because you've heard it on a podcast but yeah it's just interesting to see what certain people do and i think it's a great way of learning is that we can understand all what's kind doing or why is she doing it and i think hit the nail on the head there it all comes down to your risk tolerance and your investing time frame yeah but look what i'll do is i try and do it in a somewhat logical sequence so i guess starting out with income so obviously you have multiple sources of income and you love the side hustles which sometimes grow into a full-on business but could you tell us a bit more about your streams of income
1: of course well I'll talk about from a personal point of view because business is obviously separate from a personal point of view I have commercial property so I receive rent from that we also have an investment property which is a residential investment property so we receive rent from that we have multiple share portfolios Which I'm trying to work out how to, I guess, simplify and consolidate as well. So the the portfolio is made up for, and I receive dividends from the listed investment companies, the ETFs, and then the individual stocks that I own myself. And we have this cash, but that is sitting in our offset account. So I don't actually earn any interest from that, but it's helping offset the interest on my home loan as well. So, pretty well diversified investment income. When it comes to business, obviously the sugar mama business, it varies because obviously I have my books, I have my podcasts, I have sponsorship and collaborations and so forth. So again, I've created a wide range of different income sources.
0: Wow, so I'm just trying to keep track here and I think I almost ran out of fingers to count. So that's over 10 different income streams. So that's awesome. And I think the takeaway there for people listening is that people that are good with money, people who want to build wealth, is they're often looking to build multiple streams of income for diversification. Also working on building the amount of income within those streams. So, yeah, that's pretty impressive. And essentially what was a side hustle has now grown to become a full-on business through Sugar Mama TV, which is bloody fantastic. Thank you. Now, I the flip side to income is obviously expenses now you've mentioned you've had some pretty big bills lately with the pups you've got a big family three kids and you're sydney based is that correct Mm, yeah yeah. so look that doesn't sound cheap so kind of what are your expenses looking like
1: our expenses are huge (laughs) i actually reviewed our family budget the other day and I grabbed Tom and said, you've got to sit down and look at this. And I made him sit down with me and look at the Excel spreadsheet. And I said, this is our monthly expenses as a family. And that didn't include holidays in there. And he said, how is it so much? I said, it's the cost of living. And I said, look, there is nothing in there that I can take out. This is the basics, really. It's the food, the energy, the water, the council rates, I didn't even put our mortgage repayments in there. It was just the actual, what it costs, what we need. And I said, there's nothing I can take out of this. Like I've trimmed as much as I possibly can. And we both said, it is incredibly high. (laughs) And I I feel like a lot of other families will really relate to that because a lot of people feel really bad about what their true cost of living is and can feel embarrassed and ashamed. That's how much they spend per month, but it's a crazy expensive world that we are living in right now. We're all trying to really do our best. And I'm in the same boat as everyone else. There's nothing excessive in there whatsoever. And it very quickly adds up to be a large amount of money.
0: Yeah, look, I mean I definitely come from a huge point of privilege in that I had quite a good salary and I also had no kids. So I didn't <laughs> really have a lot of expenses. So it was Pretty easy for me to save and invest, but when you start looking at larger families and mm. people with different circumstances and other responsibilities, maybe blended families, multi generation families, it can be bloody hard. And I was just reading as well because one of the things I want to do is start a family, and I was looking into the costs of children and geebers, childcare. childcare. Oh my god! Oh my childcare
1: gosh! Childcare is more expensive than our food.
0: Yeah, and it wow. is
1: our mortgage repayment is the biggest expense followed by childcare and Tom's family live in the country. We have no family locally. So if we want to go out for dinner, it's at least $150 in babysitting. So we have three kids and normally if you have more than two, they tend to bump up their rate and that's often cash payment. So before you've actually walked out the door that's how much you're up for in babysitting and a lot of babysitters will say look I'm not going to come over just to babysit for two hours I have a four-hour minimum and it's expensive and then you've got to obviously pay for the food and if you want to have a bottle of wine and perhaps you'd ever want to drink and drive you get a cab or an uber it's a very expensive date night so we don't really do that often my son's in school I have a nanny who helps me out three days a week because I work for myself And my daughter goes to daycare one day a week and it just blows my mind as to how much it costs.
0: Wow. Well, all I'm thinking is, geez, it's a bloody good thing that you sorted out your financial foundations early and that you've got your investments and passive income that can really help to offset this cost of living.
1: I'm so glad I invested. I'm so glad I was disciplined with my money and I did all the hard work back now because I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for those sacrifices and dedication.
0: Yeah, well done. I think that's a testament to, I guess, your hard work and your intelligence and forward planning. So bloody well done because imagine trying to get ahead now (laughs) would be bloody difficult it's a lot harder Um, and another way that manifests is getting an emergency fund started if you don't have an emergency fund it can be financially devastating and it can be really hard to build one especially when your expenses are so high compared to your income so just on emergency funds what's your take on it and how much cash do you keep do you keep as a multiple of your living expenses or how do you work out what's enough for you personally Well, great
1: question because I think a lot of people think, oh, yes, I have emergency money, but the problem is they don't actually have the right amount of emergency money for their situation. So there's no magical formula. What I say is look at your individual situation and think about what could realistically, and not that we want to manifest this, but what is a real risk for you and what is the cost of those risks? So in my situation, well, I work for myself, so I don't have any annual leave or sick leave to fall back on. I have three children. I have dogs. So you would look at your own individual situation and and look at the things that could go wrong and then think of three things suddenly going wrong all at the same time and think about what would be the the financial cost of those three things. And that number is where you start to think about what your emergency money is really is and how much you really need so someone who is maybe working full-time has three kids their partner stays at home to help raise those kids are they in good health what bills do they have do they have maybe car repayments as well as a mortgage repayment what annual leave do they have what sick leave do they have do they perhaps have family that live overseas and might have a health condition that where they may have to suddenly drop everything and fly to that country so they need to factor in Airfare, accommodation, spending money, time out of work where they may be eating up their annual leave or don't have any annual leave, so they have to have even more emergency money. You've really got to look internally to your situation and what those risks are. And someone who's, say, 22, has the luxury of living at home, has a full time job, is not going to need the same emergency money number that I'm going to need. And I had my annual challenge of frugal February, and we had Huge damage exposed to the house that originally the insurance company were going to cover. And we had this claim with insurance, we was sitting there for six months. And at the very end, they turned around and said, Actually, this is not insurable. And they found a, a loophole in the policy details. And all of a sudden, we had to pay for the damage, and it was excessively expensive. And, you know, and to the point where we had a scaffolding inside our house like that's how bad this water damage was. So That wiped all of our emergency money and extra savings we had set aside. So it made me realize, okay, that emergency money number needs to be a lot bigger. And we're in the process of rebuilding our emergency money as quickly as possible. And I don't want to share the exact number because I don't want someone to think, well, if Canna has that much as emergency money, I need the same. But it's a six-figure emergency money that we need as a family.
0: Wow. Yeah. Look, thanks for sharing that because yeah, I remember when you posted about that and how stressful these things can really build up. Mm. And I think a really important thing that you mentioned is what if those three things happen all at once? Yeah. And I must say I've sort of been publishing my journey and I publish my financials and I worry that perhaps people may have been a bit lax because I never really typically kept a lot of money because I had a very stable job. I had oodles and oodles of annual leave. I had insurances up the wazoo and I didn't have a lot of liabilities. So I tended to keep a very small amount of cash. In fact, I mean... Not that long ago, I think I ran out of money. Like, I was only kept a couple of thousand bucks. Oh. Uh, and Yeah, and so my mindset has completely changed now since leaving full-time work. And yeah, I'm keeping sometimes nearly two years' worth of expenses in cash. And for me, that's, well, I mean, I'm spending about 30... a year. So yeah, uh, it's not six figures, but it's getting up there.
1: It definitely is. And the thing is, it helps you sleep better at night. As I said, we live in a stressful world, a fast-paced world. We've got so much pressure and stress and responsibilities on our shoulder. If we can take control of our money, that helps alleviate that stress. And Part of taking control is having emergency money. And the thing is, when an emergency happens and no one's immune from emergencies, at least it doesn't completely knock you off your feet where you have to start all over again. Or even worse, you have to start selling things off at a fire sale price. So you know, you're know actually then two steps back. The whole point about emergency money is you can get back on your feet again quickly and easily and then obviously replenish those emergency money supplies.
0: Yep. And you don't have to resort to debt as well. Exactly. Um, but that's not to say if you have debt that it's a horrible thing, you're a bad person. Sometimes. That's what happens. Sometimes Um, it's a
1: necessary part of life. It's also debt sometimes creates opportunity. Buying a home, you have to take on debt to be able to buy that home, but hopefully that home can grow in value and can be used as a resource to help grow your wealth even further. The toxic debt is the credit card debt, the personal loans, the car loans that are not used for work or for business or income producing.
0: We'll get back to the show in a moment, but for now I want to ask you a question. Do you have a side hustle? And if you do, is it scalable? My side hustle is building and running websites, a form of digital real estate. Now, it might sound tricky to make money online, but really, they're just small online businesses that have low overheads, high margins, and which you can easily scale by outsourcing. If you've ever read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, then you're on the right track. What I love about websites is just like my investments, they're working 24-7 to make me richer and I can put as much or as little effort into running them as I like. I can pay a writer to produce a piece of evergreen content, which is then edited and posted by a virtual assistant, and then it can be viewed potentially millions of times and easily updated by my editors over the years to remain relevant. If you want to learn more about this lucrative side hustle and retraining for the digital workforce revolution, then check out my article about making money online and read my review of the e-Business Institute and their online self-paced courses. The e-Business Institute cover everything from total beginners right through to advanced web design and how to buy, renovate, run, and sell websites for profit. As a graduate of the e-Business Institute, I can't thank Matt and Liz enough for the valuable web skills I've developed, and now I can enjoy growing my portfolio of websites for semi-passive income. Captain Fire listeners can register for free access to some of their resources by following the link in the eBusiness Institute review article on CaptainFire.com. So, what are you waiting for? Start learning how to build a portfolio of digital real estate and use websites to make money today. I guess another way that you can avoid getting into that pinch is similar to having an emergency fund is insurances and you are a big supporter of having appropriate insurance. And you even mentioned earlier today, some of the insurances that you have, but I guess just to close the loop on that, would you be able to outline what personal insurances that you and your family have and why you think it's important?
1: Absolutely. So, Again, not advice, general advice only. I am a financial planner, so I have to be very careful with that. But I have life insurance. I have TPD insurance. I have income protection. And I have trauma. And I actually sat down and worked out. We spend $1,500 per month on personal insurances between Tom and I. I know. Our living expenses are huge, but the thing is we need that cover because if something was to happen to me, we need to know that we can still pay the mortgage we can still pay the bills and we would be able to help pay for someone that can help us manage the kids because, you know, as I said, I have a nanny three days a week. I look after the kids the other four days. So if anything happened to me and I couldn't work, or, and that would include looking after my kids, we need help. So this is a huge comfort knowing that we are protected. We're not going to have to be forced to sell our home. We're going to be able to still put food on the table. We can be present with our children. And also we have the ability then to then focus on recovery and rehabilitation in the event of something happening to us.
0: Yeah, my partner recently switched roles. And as a part of that, she had the opportunity to switch to a superannuation provider that was specific to that role, which was pretty good, had some good perks. But their insurance offerings, the baseline, they were a bit lackluster. I think they tended to under you as a default. So she beefed up her income protection, her TPD, And that's giving her the sleep at night factor.
1: Yeah. Look, no two insurance policies are the same. It is so important that you get personal advice from an insurance broker or a financial planner. And you would never go and cancel a policy without knowing the consequences of that. And if you were looking to switch policies, you would wait until your new policy had been activated and was... Enforce, and you had something in writing to say that it's in force before you would cancel the old one but you want to be very careful with switching products as well because there are waiting periods there might be exclusions the policies are going to be different so you've got to go in eyes
0: wide open this is, this is giving me anxiety just Sorry. talking about this. No, it's a good point though. Talk to a specialist. So I interviewed Catherine Hayes, and she's a an insurance specialist, really cool lady. Actually, has ADHD as well, and oh, wow. was fairly open about it. So there you go. There's another one. She came on the pod, and there was there's so much to it. And so if it's not something I think you can tackle, and look, I consider myself a pretty switched on guy, right? I used to fly multi million dollar aircraft, and was an engineer. And yet I feel so overwhelmed when it comes to reading the fine print and understanding how these policies work. In fact, I'd almost feel like I would not take out a policy. cut my nose off to spite my face just because it's so complex.
1: (laughs) Look, and that's why you go and see an insurance broker or a financial planner because that's their specialty and they can help you work out what is the right policy for you. So you're not paying for something you don't need and you then can beef up the features of the policy that are really important to your
0: situation okay so we've covered income expenses emergency funds insurance and we've already talked about your investments so well there's only two more on here so one of them is do you have a target savings rate so are you trying to achieve a particular percentage of your income or a particular amount per month that you're trying to save and invest
1: no so at the moment we had a bit of a change because we Decided to move house and it was sort of a very out of the blue, unexpected decision. So we have a mortgage now. So basically what we do is all of our income goes into the one account, a joint account, and we have our family expenses that come out and our individual I guess sanity money for Tom and I. And then everything goes towards the mortgage that is left over. So we're trying to maximize our mortgage repayment so we can reduce the non-deductible debt in our life and own our home outright as quickly as possible. So I don't believe in percentages that you should save 20% of your income and live off 30%. I feel like you start pigeonholing people and your expectations and it can lead to disappointment because everyone's in different stages of their life and if you said to me i had to save 20 percent and live off 50 percent and invest 30 percent it's that's just not going to work and i won't bother paying attention to my finances so you do the best you can do for you and you have goals that you actively work on and you tweak and evolve it as your situation changes you might get a pay rise you might get a promotion or your living expenses may change because you have a child or you may inherit some money or you may have decided to go back to university and educate yourself and invest in education for yourself so yeah I don't believe about aggressive percentages and rules and for us it's about restocking our emergency money through our offset account right now and making as many extra repayments as possible possible on our home life
0: yeah i like it keeping it simple keeping it simple is good
1: and keeping it fluid as well it, yeah. i never try and box myself in the corner
0: yeah and that's probably something that i kind of took a little bit overboard having said for some people saving can be easier than for others for a lot of us in the fire community particularly like high paid people in tech or professional careers with no no kids or other responsibilities it's sort of it can be pretty effortless to save. And I think I probably obsessed about this too much. And it's something I talked to a counselor about. But yeah, sort of getting into the 70, 80% savings rates. Whilst it's great to build your wealth and everything, it's not necessarily a necessity. I look back and I go, well, I'm glad I did it still, but it maybe did contribute to a bit of an unhealthy relationship towards money. So I think I kind of like your strategy better, <laughs> just not putting these really rigid rules in place and just doing the best you can.
1: And also come from a place of love. Financial well-being has an element of self-love and self-care. So you are taking care of your financial responsibilities because you want to make sure that you can live a rich, fulfilling life beyond the dollars and the figures and the numbers. So, you know, what you're talking about sounds like that your actions were driven from a place of scarcity and fear which is never a good thing. It should always come from a place of empowerment, of education, of inspiration. So if you were saving 70% and you're happy about that and it's That action of saving 70 or 80% or 30% or whatever it is comes from a place of being excited about the future because you're investing in your future. You're creating a greater sense of security and comfort and peace of mind. That is fine and happy and healthy. So what I say to people is you do you. You do what is best for you. Obviously, always look to tweak and change as necessary and don't be afraid to give yourself a goal that's a bit of a stretch because that's where fantastic growth and Shifts and breakthroughs come from, but also feel very proud along the way and celebrate every success, no matter how big or how small.
0: Yeah, I love having the b-hag. That's what my mentor calls it a b-hag, a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about all the different investments that you have, but I'm interested. Do you have a particular target sort of asset allocation? Do you want a certain amount in, say, residential property certain amount of international shares certain amount in Australian shares how do you plan out where you put your money
1: both tom and i are high growth investors so our risk profile asset allocation is predominantly australian shares international shares and property but a lot like our spending and saving and investing calculations i don't believe in hard and fast aggressive rules and regulations so The way I look at it is I always monitor the diversification, making sure that we're not over or underexposed in a certain area. And if we are, I don't ever sell things to rebalance. I just simply make a note of that and go, okay, well, we're a little bit underexposed in international shares. Next time we're going to be doing some investing, I need to make a mental note to make sure that we use those funds to help rebalance the portfolio by using that cash to invest in, say, more international shares or whatever is under. So I take, a, I guess, a wealth accumulation point of view when it comes to making sure our portfolio is diversified. Any cash that we have in our life is either emergency money or goes into the mortgage. So I'm very comfortable with what we've done and I look forward to the stage where our mortgage is gone or our mortgage is further down and we can revisit debt recycling again and look to accumulate more assets, more passive income stream assets and build upon what we already have. So we can finish off that last 25% needed for our mindful money number goal.
0: So with the shares then, do you just split it kind of evenly between Aussie and international or do you have a particular ratio you look for?
1: I don't look for a particular hard and fast ratio as such, but I do love Australian shares because of the franking credits.
0: So I would definitely have
1: a very powerful. So I do have a bias towards more Australian shares than international. However, having said that, the growth element to the international shares is also very valuable, and I'm mindful of the income tax level that both Tom and I pay. Sometimes that international asset allocation can be quite valuable because it's obviously more growth. You don't pay any capital gains tax until you sell. And Tom and I don't sell any assets. It's very rare that we sell assets.
0: Yeah, look, and I do a similar thing as well. Like I, I guess I've been fortunate, and I haven't had to draw down my portfolio yet. And I guess that's the benefit of having a side hustle that turns into a, an awesome business. And so I do my rebalancing the same via reinvesting dividends, and if I do have any extra windfalls, inheritance. My mum passed away, so that'll be getting invested in just shares as well, and. Yeah, I tend to focus on those high growth ones. Just me personally, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. So I think I have about 75% international shares, 25% Australian. But it's interesting, the tax stuff, there is dividends from international shares and it's not nothing. And you do get taxed, I think from memory, it's like 15%. And you won't get a franking credit for that with international shares. So yeah. it, that is a consideration when it comes to like your financial planning and how much income you want in retirement. But yeah, so... And Would the long-term
1: like? growth opportunities as well is really important because it might be $10,000 worth of shares but, and it's, say, 4% capital growth, say 2% income versus the vice versa for Australians. Sometimes over the long run, if depending on what your goals are, that international exposure can be very valuable.
0: I was just 100% Australian shares at the start of my journey. So I was really focused on building an income stream. So I was like buying listed investment companies and ETFs and even some individual shares as well. But yeah, as I sort of felt a bit more secure and built a larger portfolio, definitely for tax efficiency, I'm looking at the capital growth stuff. So my next question is about housing, but I feel like we've already covered that. So... I'm going to say you are team pay off your mortgage. Oh, yes. But team keep into tax deductible debt. So for like an investment property, you'd be wanting to keep that?
1: No, not quite. Um, Not quite? So all but one of our investment loans are set up to be cash flow positive. So they actually are paying themselves off over time. And that's not product advice or strategic advice to anyone out there, but because our goal is to build a growing passive income stream of $200,000 per annum, I need to make sure that I'm using the time to make sure that those loans that we have in place that have allowed us to help accumulate these investment assets and build this passive income are actually being paid off because there's no point creating this $200,000 passive income if you know, it's got two hundred thousand dollars worth of interest expenses as well. So, we have a overall debt reduction strategy in place. The priority is obviously the non-deductible debt first, which is the mortgage. But we are also at the same time slowly and steadily chipping away at our investment loans, so that our, all of our investments are cash flow positive and almost self funding themselves.
0: Yeah, look, I think that's a very sensible option and that means they'll just get more and more positively geared over time, right? It's growing stream and that's exactly why we're investing.
1: Exactly. And the beauty is the moment our mortgage is paid off, that frees up our cash flow. And hopefully by then we don't have to spend another 10 years paying off the remaining investment debt. There isn't hopefully that much investment debt left because it's been paying itself off because we don't ever spend our passive income. We always reinvest it or use it to help pay down the debt.
0: Another question, which I think we probably already covered, I was going to say, what would early retirement look like for you, if at all? And I would say it's probably if at all, because it sounds like jumping out of bed at 5am, bright-eyed, (laughs) bushy-tailed, it sounds like you love a life and you don't really want to make any big changes.
1: I feel incredibly lucky and incredibly blessed. And I know that I'm in a privileged situation and I've been lucky in that I've been where we live in the world and the fact that we have access to everything we need. And I've had the opportunity to have an amazing education as well. So I've been very privileged and very lucky, but also I've worked my absolute backside off, say for six years to buy my first home. I, When I was at university, I had two jobs and whilst I was at university with two jobs, I also started studying and doing my advanced diploma of financial planning. So I'm someone who's worked incredibly hard and I've had sacrifices along the way. When my friends were backpacking around Europe, I was working. And I there are some sacrifices I regret, such as those, and I regret not living overseas, but these are all things that I can actually look at and afford to do now because I'd put my priorities slightly differently. And If I was to win $100 million tomorrow, I would still be doing exactly what I'm doing today because I'm passionate about helping people build financial freedom and harmony in their lives.
0: That's bloody awesome. (laughs) Build a life you don't have to retire from. I love it. Exactly. Enough said. So look, Canada, you've got a lot of really good knowledge and information. And I guess one of the awesome things we can do on our money journeys is to look to the people that are successful, look to the people that we want to achieve similar things that they've achieved so we can copy them, and especially when it comes to educating about your finances. So with that in mind, do you have any favourite resources that you've used that you could share with us? Perhaps you've got some favourite books, blogs, podcasts or websites?
1: Absolutely. So there is a book called Motivated Money by Peter Thornhill and it is an absolutely brilliant book. It's really thought-provoking but is also backed up with hard facts and I highly recommend that motivated money by Peter Thornhill to anyone who's thinking of starting him to invest and wants to learn more about the Australian share market I think Rich Dad Poor Dad is brilliant it's one of the first financial books I ever read before I became a financial planner there's also a book called Harmonic Wealth now this book is very hard to get because and I feel bad about saying this but the I think the guy who wrote it is actually in jail for murder. So, But the book itself is very powerful because it talks about looking at wealth in a harmonious way and all the different areas in our lives that help make us wealthy, feel wealthy, like friendships and relationships and spiritual growth and development and intellectual stimulation. So it's a brilliant book. There's also another one I love. It's called The Millionaire Next Door, which really makes you think – about really what's going on behind closed doors that actually your neighbor could be a millionaire and you never actually know about it and as a financial planner nothing is what it seems and you'll think oh this person's got a nice big house they must be swimming in cash and it's not the case at all that sometimes they have a massive mortgage and sometimes those people in those massive homes have no mortgages at all but then you go and see someone who's in a, a very humble home and has a very sort of frugal life and you think well they must be struggling and actually it's far from it. They're actually swimming in cash. So I love how The Millionaire Next Door, it sort of exposes that.
0: Awesome books. I haven't read Harmonic Wealth, but that is a very spicy bit of information there. Who's the author?
1: Uh, I think it's something like James Ray.
0: Maybe this publisher pulled the deal. But Motivated Money, Peter Thornhill, what a legend as well. Oh, he's, and he's like, such a nice guy as well. Yeah, he's done a couple of interviews with Aussie Firebug and just spit fire. Like the guy's so funny, so cheeky. And he's saying like, oh, what about the haters that don't agree with you? And he's just oh, well, they can keep working. Me and my wife are just going to enjoy champagne every day.
1: Such a great life as well. He's traveling around the world. He's just so laid back and he's so relaxed and good on him. A wonderful man.
0: Really smart guy, and because even in the fire community, it's often coined this phrase: like you've got like the Boglehead investors following the John Bogle typical advice of predominantly broad-based index total market index funds with america like really looking at those growth and then you've got the thornhill approach which is like the aussie industrials really juicing the dividend income and then when you couple peter thornhill's approach with something sensible like a, a sensible amount of leverage on a debt recycling endeavor it can be a very powerful wealth building tool
1: oh absolutely yeah, and the thing is you don't have to be one or the other. You can have a little bit of a, a, a different approaches. So you might take a Peter Thornhill approach for your super. You might take a Warren Buffett approach for your investment portfolio outside of super.
0: So look, and other than books, obviously listening to the Financial Fireplay and the Cats and Fire podcast, <laughs> do you have any other favorites?
1: Well, I have How Do They Afford That with – Michael Thompson from Fear and Greed and we publish that every Wednesday morning and it's a shorter form podcast and we have a bit of a laugh along the way. We're really sort of peeking over the neighbor's fence to see how people are affording these lifestyles.
0: Interesting. I'm going to tune in because I actually haven't had a listen to the How Can They Afford That podcast. So there's one how for my- How do they that? Sorry, how do they afford that? Okay. One last question. Everyone hates this question, but I love asking it, right? So if we could distill all of your knowledge down into three small actionable pieces of advice for someone wanting to improve their finances, what would you recommend?
1: Number one would be do a budget so you understand where your money goes and then you can proactively take control and decide where you want it to go. The second advice would be to have some financial goals in your life, such as a mindful money number goal. And then the third advice would be Cut the crap. Stop talking about it or thinking about it. Just get on and do it. Just start. Build that momentum. Make your first investment. Track your results and watch your passive income grow and make sure that passive income growth is in positive alignment to that financial goal that you set for yourself.
0: I love it. You don't have to be doing miracles, but you do have to start. And I love that it doesn't have to be perfect either because – just because you started investing doesn't mean you can change your focus. So you can always change what you're doing. But I think it's really important to just get started. Just cut the crap. Just bloody do it. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Look, Hannah, thank you so much for your time today. Like I said, I'm actually absolutely pinching myself chatting to you because, you know, quite a big influence on my financial journey. So someone who's benefited immensely from the amount of time and effort that you've put into producing your content. So honestly, thank you so much for everything you've done and thanks heaps for coming on the show today. It means a lot to me.
1: Oh, well, thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. Look, before we finish up, is there anything else you'd like to mention today that we might have missed? Well,
1: no, I think we've pretty much covered everything. And obviously to go and check out Sugar Mama's Fireplay and how do they afford that?
0: Yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to how do they afford that. And I don't know, how do you guys produce content every week? Oh my goodness, it's hard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Worker smarter, not harder.
0: Hey, look, can I if people – now, I'd be quite surprised if people listening today didn't know who you were, but if people wanted to find out more about you or contact you, whereabouts can they find you?
1: Well, my website was hacked, so it's currently being rebuilt and it will be up in a couple of months. But in the meantime, <sighs> I know, heartbroken. Instagram is probably the yeah. best place because my phone is quite often in my hand and if I see something, I will quickly reply or, or as soon as possible.
0: Awesome. Hey, and that's a trap in itself. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's good to know that you're quite genuine and and able to engage with your community. So, look, anyone listening, if you chuck in Canna Campbell, Sugar Mama TV into your Google or your Instagram, Facebook, check it out. But if you find that too difficult, come on to captainfire.com, go to the show notes of this podcast, and there'll be links to where all of Canna's places are online. Again, Canna, thank you so much for your time buddy awesome wish you all the best knocking off that final 25% of your fire portfolio and enjoying all of your fat fire dreams
1: oh thank you for having me and good luck with your own adventure and journey
0: thank you very much yes it's definitely an unfolding one and like i said we've got this puppy dog and it's just so much fun brings so much joy into my life and we're actually we might be getting a Labrador too soon, <gasps> so I might have to hit you up for a bit of Labrador-specific <laughs> preparation and advice.
1: Absolutely. More than happy to help you out.
0: Awesome. Look, I have an awesome day. Once again, thanks so much for your time, and we'll chat soon. Fantastic. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Captain Fire Financial Independence Podcast. To read the transcripts or check out the show notes, Head over to www.captainfire.com for all the details. If you have a question for the captain, make sure to get in touch. You might even make it on the airwaves. You can reach me online through the Captain Fire contact form or get in touch through the socials. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram as well as a number of online finance and investing forums. And finally, remember... The information presented on the show and the links provided are for general information purposes only. They should not be taken as constituting professional financial advice. You should always do your own research when making any financial decisions and make sure it's appropriate for your personal circumstance.